Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers, and anyone who loves children's books. I'm Heather Kaufman Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, a mom to two boys, a middle school teacher, a homeschool, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 43. Three. We're talking women this week. I mean, we're always talking women. Like, it's like we are talking women, but we're also like angry old feminists. So we're also talking women all the time. So it's kind of like, that's our thing, you know, (laughs) but more so this month than ever, right? Does that work? That works. It's on brand for us. Let's put it that way. There you go. Only if we said we're talking angry women. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's really on brand for us. Oh, we're talking about angry women. Okay. Okay. So this week we're celebrating Women's History Month with two biographies of some fierce women. We have not done biographies before. So we're so excited. This is really interesting because, you know, when I was a kid, I so was into biographies. I loved reading biographies and I kind of forgot. I mean, I've read some good biographies like P.S. The, um, Pat Benatar, Joan Jett, you know, like some <gasps> of the good ones. There's Did you read ones. their biographies? I'm yes. so jealous. Isaac okay. Mizrahi has a fabulous, when you come to visit me, I'll let you borrow them. I oh. have them. Okay. Um, but there's so many good biographies, but you kind of forget. I don't know. I just kind of forget. Like, it's so interesting to hear people's backstories. Anyway, that's my, that's all I have to say about that. No, it's true. The women that we're going to talk about this week are not so well behaved, which so sassy. I, I love that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Well-behaved women really make history. I always true love story. that. Hopefully we'll get to the point where you can just be yourself and make history, you know, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> No one wants to hear about like some suburban mom's good Christian life in the middle of Ohio. No one, no one. That's just not it. But if she went through like, like if there was a portion of her life where she was a stripper and then she like, you know, moved into like, I don't know, some sort of political office or something before she gunned down her husband, then everyone wants to hear about it. That's it. And she's definitely not well behaved. I'm just saying. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, before we dig into that, I have to ask. Margie, have you seen what's going on with author Dan Gutman? I know how much you love him. Did you see anything about it? I did a little bit. Um, For those of you who don't know Dan Gutman, Dan Gutman writes a series of books called The Weird School. He also wrote The Genius Files, which I'm a big fan of. Um, And I think we talked about on like 100 years ago on a podcast. He writes a lot of books, but there's a a series of books he writes called My Weird School, My Weirder School. There's Uh a ton of them. And they all have rhyming titles. And they're chapter books and they're really geared for reluctant readers and they have fart jokes a go-go in them. And my son, both of my sons love them, but it has been magical milk for my little reader who's not a very good reader. They take place at elementary and AJ is the main character and they're in second grade, second and third grade through most of the books. So that's where they fall. So I did. So tell us, tell me about this. I saw like a little bit, but I didn't. It's like so crazy. It, it, I was just like surprised watching it like in real time happen. It was yeah. So, so anyway, um, Dan Gutman has been corresponding with a Ukrainian fan. It's such an amazing story. So Andre is a Ukrainian boy who fled Ukraine with his family when the war started. Um, he learned English from Dan Gutman's My Weird School books, he says, and he's a huge fan. And so his family fled to Poland and the boy sent Gutman a story about it. 
oh my gosh, it's so amazing and so insightful um, as to what's going on and what people are going through. And then every, and Dan Gutman shared it on his social media on Facebook and Twitter. I've, I've seen, I saw it on Facebook. I did. And then everyone started asking for chapter two because it was so great. And so he asked the boy to write another chapter. Yeah. He's just, yes. Yeah. He's in grade school, elementary school. So yeah, he's pretty little. And um, so he wrote a second chapter of this just last week, I think it was. And the chapter is all about, the first chapter is all about the stuff the family had to leave behind and what they were missing, like Barbies and Hot Wheels and guitar and all this stuff. And the experience of traveling to Poland. And then at the end, he kind of teases to the next chapter. So that's what everyone was asking for it. And then the second chapter is about living in Poland and having to Zoom math classes online with his Ukrainian teachers. The Ukrainian teachers are keeping their classes together, people. Wow. Teachers are freaking amazing. So they're Zooming. So all the kids are Zooming in, but he's with his same class and his same teacher. And it's just such an incredible story and it's heartbreaking. And that chapter, I won't give any away. If you want to go on Facebook and find Dan Gutman and read them, he has them there. It's heartbreaking and amazing and very like matter of fact as children are about this is just how life is. They don't know any different. So, okay. This is super, super interesting to me because I started, I don't go on Facebook that often because there's anger there and I'm just having enough of it on my own. Thanks menopause. But um, (laughs) when all of this started happening in Ukraine, Dan Gutman posted on his Facebook page that he'd had this request from a father in Ukraine and his son was that he, and it was like an initial request and he put it out to like crowdsource like do you think this is real because mm. it seems too good to be true and I'm afraid I'm gonna I'm like getting hacked or right. somebody's onto something and it was so interesting because it was a people literally on his Facebook page kind of gave him like here's what you should do and there was a, a varying degree like some people were like no no it's it's a scam it's a scam it's somebody and people were like mm, I don't know it seems like you should take these very safe steps to see if it's a scam and that's what he did and then all of a sudden like a couple of days later he's put up a picture of the kids and he's like oh my god you guys this is real this is really happening and that's sort of where I don't think I've really been on Facebook much since then so I had no idea about all of this that's fantastic yeah I missed all that that first part and just saw him because he did mention, do you remember the story about the Ukrainian family? And I missed that part. So I just jumped in for the cool stuff. <laughs> That's really cool. But yeah. I have to say, if you're on Facebook, follow Dan Gutman and you like kids literature. He's a really great guy. He's just a really down to earth right. guy. His Facebook page is hilarious because he just talks about all the mundane things in his life. Like there was one great story he told on there about he could not find his brand flakes and he's like a man of a certain age. So he needs his brand flakes. I understand Dan. And um, he like rode his bike to Jersey to the ShopRite because I will attest ShopRite does have the best brand flakes. As a Philly girl, ShopRite has the best ones and we don't have ShopRite in Boston. But um, <laughs> but like riding to get his brand flakes. He talks about like, you know, like he and his wife became empty nesters and they moved to New York. And he kind of chronicled all of that on his Facebook page. And yet he also has like tons of fan pictures from kids that love his book. So he's a wonderful man. You can just tell he's like a really down to earth, really nice guy. And this, this makes my heart happy, especially after I told, you know, like seeing the beginning of it all. He's just very genuine, like, hey guys, what should I do? And then to see it turn into this and him, him really.
really fostering this whole thing. That's fantastic. It is oh, so there's so many cool. good people out there. Good on there you, Dan are. Gutman. You're going on our Franzia list. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I think that people should follow their favorite authors anyway, because it's a great way to find out when their new books are yeah, coming out. Yeah, for sure. And also it's just fun to get some insight into them. Same on Instagram. And like we find that that's the best way to connect with like authors. Instagram's really great. And you can find out what they're up to. It kind of gives you a new appreciation for them too, because when you're just reading their books, they're sort of this nondescript entity. Mm-hmm. But when you see them and you see their, you know, like their day-to-day life. And like, I, like I told you, I've been following Lynn Kelly and her three-legged dog, you know, uh-huh. Lynn Kelly who wrote the song for a whale um, and her three-legged dog story cracks me up every time. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. Oh, that makes my heart happy. A little bit of happy. A little happy in a really bad situation. So should we break the big news about the journey? You want to do it up front? Sure. Why not? I think we should because it's too much because we're both dying. We can't even function anymore. We're too excited. (laughs) It's getting so close now. I know. After two long years. Actually, it's been four years since I left. Can you believe it? It's been four years since you left, two years since I visited last. No, it's been three, actually, because you came right when we left. Before COVID. Three and a half. Oh, my God. I know. COVID. We came to visit you. Remember, we came to Indiana that year. Three years. It's been about three years since we've been together. Thanks to COVID and everything else, we have not been together in three years. And it's happening. Auntie he he's coming. I'm spending my spring break in Massachusetts. I can't wait. My kids are so excited. I mean, I am obviously. Does anyone go to Massachusetts no, for spring break? Probably no not. one goes to Cape Cod for spring break <laughs> because it's probably going to snow. Just saying. The chances are very real that it will snow when you're here. So actually yesterday was 55 degrees and we were all like living the dream. And then today I was watching the news and like freezing rain on Thursday. I'm like, I hate you. I hate you all. <laughs> I hate this place. But then you go to the ocean and you're hanging out. And you're like, God, this is so beautiful. It's such a love-hate relationship with New England. I can't wait. We'll have lots of new adventures and all kinds of exciting stuff to tell you all about when we come back. So it'll be fun. Yes. We're going to take a little break over spring break and we won't be back for a couple of weeks. But then hopefully we'll have some new fun stuff and we'll have gotten together in person too. From our little Cape Cod vacation. Yes. We might have to record some of it. Oh my God. That'll be epic. All right. Well, since <laughs> okay. we're recording and talking all about our vacation and being the wild women of our vacation. Should we talk about the wild women in our books? Yeah, let's get started. Since I was all about being in a big mouth with my book choice last week, I totally blew it. I like, I can't keep a secret. You see that? Even the whole secret of like, we weren't even supposed to announce you were coming to visit until like the end. I can't keep a secret. It's terrible. I've always had that. That's a good thing. It's my middle child syndrome. So we, I gave you my story about like what book I was reading, Star Child. Hello. So what's yours? You get to go first since I like spilled my beans already. You go. Okay. What's your book? All right. I read about Sophie Blanchard, a French hot air balloonist from the early 1800s. She was one cool chick. So you, it's so you, you're like random. I'll take that. I know. Hey, I was reading about it. It just really just came out March 8th. Oh, wow. Yeah. It just came out March 8th. So I saw it on the list and I was like, Hmm, that sounds fascinating. The book is called Lady Icarus balloon mania, balloon omania, sorry. And the brief bold life of Sophie Blanchard. Lady Icarus, like I said, just came out March 8th of this year. It's hot off the presses. It's a short 150 pages, really about 130 pages. Cause it has all the more information at the end, but which I love PS writers always do that for teachers always do that put it's the information great. in the back we love it we love it we love it 
Yeah, there's a lot of cool info in the back too. And it's a biography, nonfiction book about the history of hot air balloons. And it's so much more. Um, the author, Deborah Noyes, has written about other famous women, including journalist Nellie Bly, one of my favorites. So I might have to go check that one out. And Louisa May Alcott. Another great one. Lived in Massachusetts. She's a local girl. Um, so Noyes does a great job of putting the reader firmly in the historical context for Sophie Blanchard's life in Lady Icarus. In fact, she spends about two thirds of the book relating the invention of hot air balloons, the original and the original people who made it famous in Europe, the turbulent state of France's economy and government, the revolution that happened side by side with the invention of hot air balloons, um, the French Revolution, and even talks about a little bit about the American Revolution. Um, it talks about important players at the time, including Benjamin Franklin, Marie Antoinette, Napoleon. All of these people get, there's information about all of this in this book which seems like impossible, but it's crazy how is it toned just, down though? Like so that a kid can comprehend it. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. It's, this is hundred percent good for any age in middle grade. You might okay. even be able to use it in like third grade, even I would oh, say. Yeah, cool. So by the time the book gets um, to Sophie Blanchard, which honestly it was almost a little bit too long on the backstory for oh. me, I kind of wanted a little bit more about Sophie because she did some really yeah. crazy stuff, but it, you have a really great understanding by the time you get to her about what's happening in France, what the world is like, what the world was like that Sophie even grew up in. Anyway, so she she's really a fascinating character because so hot air ballooning had been around for a while by the time she gets into the game. She was an incredibly shy and nervous person. And really like on the ground, she was like, could barely cope basically. <laughs> oh, really? She, yeah. She, but it's like such an interesting story because she really came alive. Like after her first trip on a hot air balloon, which she received from her soon to be husband, Jean-Pierre Blanchard, who was a famous balloonist who had traveled all over Europe. He even came to the United States. After she went up once, that was it for her. She loved being in the air. So he was a balloonist first? Yeah, he was a balloonist okay. first. And then she went. I think she was like 16 when she met him at an air show. He was an older man at this point. Of course he was dirty. Old yeah, man. of course. But she, I think she saw it as her ticket into this whole She's world. No doubt me. Yeah. I know. Once they got married, he made her a part of his act because at the time women, hot air balloonists and women passengers were really popular. Like the audiences loved them. It seemed to kind of add to the suspense and the thrill to have. Why? And I don't, I think like the, the danger, the danger like, oh, of kill a, the woman. Exactly. I think that was what uh, it was. Wow. And and then also like the women who would go on the, they would either sometimes be passengers, sometimes they were wives of balloonists and they were, and some of them were balloonists all on their own, but they would like dress in fancy, like costumes, almost very theatrical. It was oh always God. a very theatrical show. Almost. Like a magician's assistant kind of yeah, thing. Kind of. Okay. Yeah. But, um, so that's kind of how she started out. Um, but then because her husband is so much older, he died. Of course he did. She had a plan. <laughs> she was not dumb. <laughs> they were actually landing a hot air balloon and he like fell out when they got close to the ground and he had had a heart attack and he died. <laughs> he was 43. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably, I don't know, younger than us, I'm sure. So she continued flying though. She got more and more elaborate with her shows. She would let off fireworks while she was in the air, which is highly dangerous considering. Yeah, Yeah. right. And she had like a special basket made for her that would look like a boat or something like, and she would wear this big white flowy dress with the big feathers in her hair. And she would just stand there like a statue. She's my girl. Oh, she was so cool. And she would let off all these fireworks and stuff. And it was really crazy. She even traveled to Italy in the balloon and she slept in the air. Like she traveled oh overnight God. and slept in the, she always said that she slept more comfortably than on the ground in the air. And this was in the 1800s she's doing this? This is in the early 1800s. The late 1700s was when the hot air ballooning became really popular in France and was invented and all that and became more and more of, of a show, a spectacle. Early 1800s is when she was performing. Both King Louis XVI and Napoleon gave her special titles and considered her their sort of royal balloonist or whatever. Wow. And then of course her shows got more more elaborate because she wanted to give the people what they wanted until, I don't know, the title sort of implies what happens to her. Lady Icarus flies a little too close to the sun. Right. Um, But I just really enjoyed this book. It's a quick read. It would be perfect for teachers to use alongside lessons on the French and even the American revolutions. Oh my God. It's a great STEM book. Oh yeah. You can make hot air balloons. and There's so many things, so much science. Your brain goes to science. My brain went to history because there's so much the enlightenment and the focus on science and invention were all tied up with thoughts of revolution and democracy and getting rid of the monarchy that were going on in America and France. So it was like kind of all went together. And in fact, there was a really cool line in the book about how hot air balloons were very democratic because despite how much someone might've paid for a ticket to see the launch, once the balloon was in the air, everyone oh, can enjoy it. Yeah. And so it was something that everybody across all walks of life was enjoying at this time. And it's sort of like meshed with those democratic ideals that were starting to form. Well, and everybody loves a hot air balloon, even now. I know they're beautiful. There's that one over by you, the one that goes up from the the park, but there was a, we were in, I think it was in Noblesville. One day the boys and I were like, and my husband were driving by and they were launching a bunch of hot air balloons from like the, the parking lot of the marsh or something. And we stayed for an hour just to what people love that it just is so fascinating Mm -hmm. and to think of like in that time a woman doing all of this go girl yeah the book kind of highly emphasizes how that was also part of the spectacle because women at the time didn't really do much more than be wives but also there were a lot of women doing it so I kind of felt like it overemphasized that a little bit because I was like okay you're saying that it was unique because women didn't really do much at the time but here are, you've also listed like yeah. as many women as you have men who are involved in hot air ballooning. So at what time do we ex- start to ex- accept that women really have been participating throughout history? We just treat it like either it's a novelty or right. it wasn't happening, you know? Right. So anyway, I but on know. some level, they were always there. Yeah. Yes. You know, they were always participating. Yes. But obviously for her to be a balloonist all by herself was unique. But, you know, everyone loved her. And the the king, Napoleon, everyone loved her. So, and and other hot air balloonists had sort of fallen out of favor with the king or fashion, but she never did. So she was brilliant. 
and yeah. over the top. I love it. It was a great book. That was Lady Icarus, uh, Balloonomania, and the Brief Old Life of Sophie Blanchard by Deborah Noyes. Okay, but I have to ask, it was brief. Did she die young? Did she die in a fiery crash? Uh, the title is Lady Icarus. I was trying to hint at that. I didn't want to get I know, but I, actually that didn't click in as much as the brief bold life. <laughs> That's when I was like, oh, all right. She went down like the Hindenburg, didn't she? Yeah, kind of. All right. Well, I mean, it was in the 1800s. If you haven't watched it by now, you know, it's like giving a spoiler alert for Star Wars, for God's sakes. Right? You <laughs> That's true. Know. That's true. It's It's a great book, though. I really enjoyed it. What did you read? Tell me about I yours. I really enjoyed mine too. And okay. yes, I have to show you this because again, podcast, the visual medium, the book uh, is just gorgeous. It's like got this sort of batik look, like this purple batik look of like, a, it's her high school picture. Actually, it's Octavia Butler on the cover with sort of like a halo. Oh yeah, um, here's mine. Yeah. Oh, yours is good too. Yours cool? has got a very Victorian yeah. sort of vibe to it. I like it. Mine's got the hippie vibe. So of course I judge my book by my cover, but I, uh, it's called Star Child, a biographical constellation of Octavia Estelle Butler. And it's by Evie Zoboy. And she is going immediately on my list because she's my new favorite writer. And then as I read more about her, she's a Haitian American. She um, basically fangirled Octavia Butler. And Octavia Butler is a sci-fi writer. One of the early first, Black women sci-fi writers. Amazing. And she is considered the mother of Afrofuturism, which is one of my fave genres. So this is a tiny little book. So, But I picked this book up because in the beginning of it, she was even talking about like, I wrote this book because I'm a fangirl. And of course, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for fangirls. Mm-hmm. And she kind of stalked Octavia Butler. And <laughs> I so love she it. could kind of like become like buddies and it's uh-huh. fabulous. And I love <laughs> it. And then she wrote this. It's a book in verse and in essays as well. So it's kind of cool. this sweet little combination. One other thing I just want to say, Evie Zoboy already has a big chunk of YA novels out. She's got quite a few YA novels, young adult. She has My Life is an Ice Cream Sandwich is her first kind of foray into middle grade, but this is her second. So she's I just of, she bought was, that book. My, me life too. Is- my life is an ice cream sandwich because yeah. it looks so good. It yeah. does look so good. Well, and now I'm sorry, but Evie Zoboy, who's a Jer- living in Jersey? We're coming and we're going to sit on your front porch and we're going to cheer you on and we're going to big Franzia and be like, we love you because she's really awesome. Um, and she would fit into our fangirl collection very well. So, okay. Ultimately, this book is 1000% kid friendly, even though a lot of times Octavia Butler's reading and stories might not be that kid friendly. Um, this book talks a lot about history too, but it's a lot about the history of the time that she grew up in. And Octavia Butler grew up in, she was born in the in the late 40s, early 50s in there in the South. And then her family migrated to California and she lived in Pasadena as a kid. Her mother was a domestic worker. Her father seems to have been out of the picture and is kind of irrelevant. But what's so interesting, Octavia Butler was raised by her mother and grandmother who Aww. were very strong women. And, and it's so clear. You're like, okay, that's where we got this matriarch thing and it makes perfect sense. And yeah, well done, ladies. You did a good job raising that girl. So that's sort of where you can see a lot of why she turned out the way she turned out because of that sort of strength. And um, she was six foot tall when she was 12 years old too. No. Can you imagine? So she oh. wasn't, I didn't know she was like this. And there's a few pictures. That's so of the hard end. for girls. She's huge, like this beautiful statuesque woman. Like she's a very um, uh, imposing figure that I'm like, oh, okay. I like that. All right. Mm-hmm. I would love to be that just for a while, just for like five minutes. I want to be above five, five, just one. Um, <laughs> I wonder what that's like. I feel like you'd have so much more power in life yeah but um make everyone look up at you <laughs> I know just for like a bit I want to know and I can reach things off tall shelves 
Okay. There's so many things. I'm like, I sound very disjointed because that's how the book is. So you sort of start here and then you jump to here, then you jump to here. So it doesn't kind of, it follows a little bit chronological, but yet like her future self is kind of in the same stories as the childhood and it sort of goes all over the place. So it's kind of hard to give it a chronological order because it's not how it's really laid out. She was dyslexic, which immediately makes her, you know, one of my people. So she she was a very slow reader. She had a really hard time reading, but slow and steady wins the race, obviously. She was very conscious of being a black girl living in a white world. And there was this really sad part where she wanted to go to the library and she asked the librarian if she could come in because she was afraid it was only for white people. And the librarian was like, oh, no, get in here. Come on. Like, no, 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 like, no. That's you're you're my new best friend. Now. Yeah. <laughs> right. She's like, no, 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 you come in. So she spent a large chunk of her life at the library in the Peter Pan section, but that was just for kids. And soon she was like, I'm kind of done. And she could they wouldn't let her go to the grown up section because things might not be appropriate there. So then she stopped going to the library and started writing her own books. Aww. So she wrote her first book at 10 about horses. Oh, she's my kind of girl. <laughs> right. And there's like a first like a handwritten draft. There's some, some really cool artifacts in the book. There's a great little handwritten draft and you can read it. And she really was a very good writer, even at age 10. Like her stories are really detailed and interesting and really, you know, like eye catching and stuff like that. I love it. Her aunt was the one who kind of kept trying to tell her that Negroes don't write books and that her mother and grandmother should not foster this habit. Aww. Well, I think we see who got the last laugh. It wasn't the auntie. The thing that's really interesting though, is like she talked, the, the author talks a lot throughout the book about how outside influences affected her life, much like yours. And she explains them really well, like the Red Scare. There's so much about the Red Scare and McCarthyism in the book. Mm -hmm. And I was really grateful because, you know, I don't know if I ever really got the whole McCarthyism. I didn't quite ever. I I think it was was like a long time, like after we were kids, Mm -hmm. but yet we don't talk about it much now. So I was like, oh, wait, what is that again? I have a general knowledge, but she explained it really well that a kid could understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim Crow explained it really well so that a kid could get it. And uh, and I spent a lot of time on the Cold War and the fascination with Mars of the 60s, like visiting Mars. Cool. And that's yeah. where Octavia got like jumped in because she watched a movie called Mars Girl and she was like, yeah, this is really bad. I could do better. And she was a kid. She's like, this story's not good. I guess it's a movie or something from the, from the late 50s, early 60s. And this woman goes to Mars. She's like, or she comes to Earth from Mars to steal all the men because all the men of Mars are gone. Hmm. And um, it wasn't a great movie, but the concept sounds pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. She wants to take all the Earth men back to Mars. And that was the one where Octavia Butler was watching it on TV. And she's like, yeah, no. I can do better. And that's kind of what got her into that. And she started writing for like the pulps, the sci-fi version of them. And she kept sending her stuff and sending her stuff until she started to get accepted. She mentions in the book that she always noticed it was always just white men telling the story, but it didn't discourage her. So, and she never saw any characters that weren't anything but like weak white women, but that didn't discourage her. She still had a voice that she thought was worth sharing. And thank God she did because hello. The crossover was her first novel. And that was in 1971. And she was 24 years old when that that came out and then she just went crazy that was like the first one i think and the author said the same thing i know the same thing for me the first one i read was the parable of the sower what was your that was her yeah, the one i read probably me too probably that's kind of my gateway but there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of good ones i never read uh kindred did you 
No, I didn't. I was just looking at that on the sheet and I'm like, oh, I don't think I've read Kindred. That's really bad. Yeah. And I didn't know that a lot of high schools read it. So I guess we're old and we, yeah, didn't we, quite, we missed, we that. missed it. <laughs> um, but the parable of the sower, it came out in 93. I thought it was a lot older than that. You know, Kindred came out in 79. How did we miss that? I don't understand. I don't yeah. And parable of the sower came out in 93. The second one, oh, blood child and other stories. I read that one too. I read blood 95. child. That was really good. And the parable of talents, those are all three interconnected. And that's came out in 98. I mean, she had a lot going on. The thing about the parable of the sower, which when I read it, I probably read it five years ago because I was like, oh, I want to catch up on this, you know. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it seemed sad and confusing and a little bit depressing. And then I realized when I was doing the research, I'm like, that book is set in 2024. Like now, it's literally now. And (laughs) it's about the United States is unstable due to climate change, wealth inequality, and corporate greed. And it's all told from the point of an 18-year-old Black woman who's like a um, hyper empath. So she feels everyone else's pain. And that's when they all go to the gated community and everything. Yes, the gated community. And I was like, okay, first of all, Octavia Butler is now some sort of crazy psychic because girl, what did you know that we didn't know? And that was from 93. Yeah, that's crazy. She was already seeing signs. She's got some Nostradamus going on in her there. (laughs) So anyway, this book is just fantastic. It's really short. It's really sweet. There's so many great poems. There's great poems about inequality and and, uh, feminism and, um, you know, like just being a little black girl in an all white world. And there's just, it's just so great. It's so rich. If you're teaching a poetry unit, I just, I was so mad because I'm like, I just finished teaching a poetry unit. I would have been all over pulling parts from this in it. You should have this book. It's on April Poetry Month. Yeah. And there's, but you know, just as much as you, you read a couple of poems and then you go into a really great essay. There's big chunks from, from Octavia Butler's life, you know, like her own personal writings, interviews and stuff that she has given somewhere along the way. Like she had a pink notebook she carried around as a little kid. And there's even a picture of the pink notebook, you know, like her high school picture. And she was just a nerd. She was just mm-hmm. a giant nerd that literally literally just wrote to kind of escape. Mm-hmm. And then as she started writing to escape, she started reading more. And as she started reading more, she was like, well, if I'm going to escape, I'm going off the planet. You know, I'm going to go <laughs> like way out in there. I would have given anything to sit down and have a conversation with her. And I just think she was such a phenomenal woman. And now I need to go back and read some more. But I'm also scared because apparently she is Nostradamus. So I'm afraid to read anymore. It might all be happening. Find out what's going to happen to us. Yeah. I had no idea. That blew my mind. I'm like, oh my God, 2024 is when that takes place. That's now. And look at all the things she says are coming true. Mm-hmm. Oh. So anyway, that was uh, Star Child, a biographical constellation of Octavia Estelle Butler by E.B. Zoboy. And we love you, E.B. I think you're amazing. It's a great book. Go get it. It's tiny. I definitely have to read it. Yeah. Everyone should have it on. If you love sci-fi and you are a fan of Octavia Butler, you should have this. And the nicest part is that somebody was complaining on one of the reviews. I said, they're like, well, it wasn't deep enough. I'm like, I I think you missed the point. It's not Mm -hmm. deep enough because it's supposed to get kids interested where they are, meet kids where they are and help them learn. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to hand my kid who's 14 years old, the parable of the sower. I mean, that's too much. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, a, it's like slowly let's, let's learn about her, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think um, like I was saying how mine wasn't maybe as detailed as I wish to, but that's kind of a great thing for kids because yeah. then you can be like, go find out more, like, you know, yeah. go research more about this person. If you want to know about that one incident that didn't go into detail, like go find out more. Yeah. And I would, I have to say that is the one part that I would like to know more about her adult life that we didn't get a lot of that, but um, 
But then again, maybe it wasn't appropriate for kids. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about her to know. Like maybe there were parts that she wouldn't want to include because of that. Maybe it's boring. I really, it could just be that she had a boring adult life and she just wrote books. I'm totally fine with that. That's perfectly fine too. You know, I also think when uh, biographies for kids, I love it when they focus on the childhood. I was of the just going to say that. Yeah. I do love that. That's what's because, important. Yeah. And my book kind of went in a lot about the childhood and what, what the reason they were that she was giving so much backstory was to show like this is maybe how this person was influenced yeah. as she was growing up because that is when we're most yeah. easily influenced. And it's a good way to teach about the times that these people live in yes. too, you know, and, and give the kids a solid understanding about like the French Revolution, the Cold right. War, stuff like that to kind of help the kids understand that how your time influences you as an adult. Like how you Yeah. The I mean, you and historical in. context is always super important yeah. in understanding things in general. So awesome. Okay. Well, I think we're both fans of any woman who lived her truth and shared her talents with the world, right? I mean, that's oh my God. Yeah. Totally. Amazing. <laughs> so um, I guess that wraps up the book chat. Um, we'll take a quick break and be back with pick six. This week, we're continuing our focus on Women's History Month by talking about some fierce female writers of grown up books that we think you should check out. We actually read those too. Oh, a lot. <laughs> be right back. All right. Welcome back. Um, I have three books for you that I'm going to share and then Margie will share her three. Um, my first book keeps the nonfiction theme going with Origin, A Genetic History of the Americas by Jennifer Raff. This book just came out and it is fascinating. Did you read this already? I'm partway through it. Oh my it. God. You are amazing. <laughs> Go on. God. Okay. That's, it's, it's a deep one. Yeah, it's about the newer science of combining archaeological findings with genetic testing to better understand, in this case, how the Americas were populated. I love archaeology. And if you go anywhere, Europe, Middle East, Africa, South America, even, there's so much emphasis on archaeological history of those areas. But in yeah. the United States, it's more about like the pilgrims or the pioneers. I mean, we have a much deeper, richer history. Yeah. P.S. America, there were people here before you. <laughs> yeah. This book, oh my gosh, when I saw it, I was like, I have to read it. So it looks so good. It starts with the discovery of Shukaka. I have no idea if I'm saying that right, in Alaska, a 10,000 year old man who is genetically related to the tribes in the area, which is so cool. 10,000 years old. He's thought to be the oldest human in the Americas. Wow. And then the science kind of goes from there. It's so fascinating. Um, it's also intentionally respectful of like indigenous populations in North and South America. This book tries to incorporate their oral histories into what they're discovering archaeologically and what they're discovering uh, genetically, yeah. which is so cool. I just thought that was really cool. And they're trying to be really respectful. Um, so, you know, if you're into archaeology, history, science, anything like this nerdy girl is, you would really enjoy this book. It's really I have to read this because we have been, my son, like we read a book last week during homeschool and he's obsessed with the bog bodies. 
Oh, yes. Europe. I so love I, that. Yeah, this is like, he is obsessed. All we do is deep dive about the bog bodies and Pompeii. He's really obsessed oh, with, yes. the, with the bodies that got covered in Pompeii. So we're giant. Yeah, this is, this is like right up his alley. I'm going to have to read this since I'm all into this right now. Yes, this is in the United States. I mean, I think yeah, this, this is Yeah, this is so like cool. up his wheelhouse for sure. Yeah. So this is the, it was the book is Origin, A Genetic History of America's by Jennifer Raff. Is she an archaeologist? Do you know? Jennifer Raff is a geneticist um, and, and a professor of anthropology in Kansas. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second book I wanted to share is The Last Quintista by Donna Barba Higuera. This is a Y science fiction thriller that came out in 2021. It's about a girl who wishes she could be a storyteller like her abuelita, her grandmother, but the world is about to be destroyed by a comet and several hundred scientists and their families have been chosen to travel to another planet. <gasps> I love those kind of stories. And including our main character, Petra. So Petra's parents are the scientists. She wishes she could just be a storyteller, but she has to go on this journey. She has to leave her grandmother behind, which is sad. And then they have to travel like a hundred years to get to the planet, of course. So the story kind of jumps ahead to when they're all waking up a hundred years later. And they discover that there was this sort of bad element that started to form while they were traveling of a few people who didn't want to bring the negative things from our old planet to the new planet. So they erased everyone's mind. <gasps> oh my God. This sounds fabulous. <laughs> Except Petra's. Wow. And so she has to use like her storytelling skills to save the history of earth. Wow. I know. Isn't it? It gives that me like sounds tingles. so good. Doesn't so it? good. Okay. Okay. So um, that's the last Quintista. And that book, I've seen it everywhere. And I don't know if that's just me because I buy a lot of kids' books in YA. YA but yeah. Um, yeah, that's YA. So an adult would love that of book. Of course. Yeah. And then my last book is a little bit older. It came out in 2016. It's been on my TBR pile for a little while. It's called Salt to the Sea by Rudis Sepeptis. It's a historical fiction story set in 1945. Everything's World War II, right? Yeah, right. I had to get historical fiction in here, you know. It's about four refugees who are trying to get on the Wilhelm Gustav, a ship that promises safety to get them away, but it ends in a tragedy six times deadlier than the Titanic. Is this true? Yeah, it's based on a real story. Oh, my God. I can't handle yeah. real stories right now. I know. It is tragic. kind of intense. So tragic. I don't know. It's, it's so interesting the way uh, Sepeptis did this, though, because she follows four people. And so you get like their four perspectives. Oh, cool. And it's it's really intense, though, because this is set after war. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Even just to get to the ship, there's a lot going on. And they are they on the ship to try to get away from the Nazis? They're refugees. They're trying to get out of. Yeah. <sighs> so I think World War II ended in September. This is set in the winter of 1945 before the war ended. So there's still fighting going on. They still have to watch out for soldiers, but they're trying to get to the Wilhelm Gustloff ship to get. Oh my gosh. Okay. And then everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. That's might not be good for right now. I don't know, but. (laughs) But some people do enjoy tragedy and tragic times. I am not one of those people. I enjoy like uh, fart jokes. That's like, um, you know, people during the pandemic who wanted to read about pain. I actually did that at the beginning. I read about, I learned all about the Black Before Death. Before we knew it was going to go on for 17 years. Well, yeah. Then I was like, okay, maybe this is too much. But yeah, I get it. I get people who want to do that. Let's see. Where are we at? Okay. So those are my three. I have Origin, 
the last Quintista and uh, Salt to the Sea. So what, what are yours? So I kind of went a different route. I want to go with, because I'm the person that when I find a book that someone has written, then I must read every book that they've written Yeah, because that's how I roll. And I have a new love affair with um, Alyssa Nutting and she's my Mm -hmm. new love. And I literally stumbled upon her book Built for Love. And it's from, I think it's from 2018. Um, And she is a professor of writing at Grinnell College in Iowa. She is probably my long lost sister because the ridiculousness <laughs> and the sort of like confusing, like, oh my God, this woman is troubled in her writing is exactly what people have always said about me. So the first one called Built for Love, again, these are not for kids. These are grown up books that you get to read on your time because at the end of the day, moms and dads and aunties yes. and uncles need to model. And if yes. you're reading all the time, then you're going to have kids that are like, oh yeah, that's normal. So, and that's what I always try to do. I try to, I'm like always reading a book because I want my kids to see me reading a book. I'm not always reading something that they would enjoy, but I want them to see that reading is really important. And by modeling that they will pick that up as well. This is really big in schools too, especially yeah. in middle grade. They quite reading. Yeah. yeah, 15 minute and the teachers are supposed to be reading also to model yep. that behavior. Yeah, we do cool. it at home. My son does it at his school. Yeah, it's huge. So anyway, I found this book, Alyssa Nutting, Built for Love. And this woman's running away from her tech giant husband <laughs> she who wants to put a chip in her brain. She goes to live with her geriatric father who lives in a trailer park for older uh, retirees with his uh, sex doll. And um, they are having a relationship him in a sex doll. And the main character is sort of kind of is like, oh, okay, this is odd and uncomfortable. But she's trying to get away from her bajillionaire uh, husband who owns Gogol. <laughs> yes, you see that. Um, and he's trying to like sort of control the world with mind control devices by uh, phones and devices that know everything about you. It's sort of this sort of Mark Zuckerberg vibe that is so perfect. It is so good. It was such a, I laughed and I, I sent you the text and I was like, yeah, you okay, did. this is going to sound ridiculous. This is a book about a woman who lives with her geriatric father who drives a scooter around his trailer because his knee surgery went wrong uh, with, and he puts his sex doll like on the front of that to like haul her around the, oh my God, it's so funny. I'm like, you have to read this. And my husband's like, what are you reading about? And I tell him, he's like, I don't even know who you are. What is wrong with you? <laughs> it was a great book. The second one, of course, then I had to go right into her next one because I'm obsessive. And that was Unclean Jobs for Women and Girls, which is a series of short stories that are equally as ridiculous. And I love them all. And then um, I'm, I just ordered Tampa, her third book as well. So, and of course, cool. with a name like Tampa, anything that happens in Florida has got to be good. <laughs> Florida woman. So that's, that's my first new obsession, uh, Alyssa Nutting, check her out. My next new obsession is Melissa Broder. And I'm also reading her book, The Pisces, which is this I love these characters about like, I love an angry middle-aged woman character, but I also like a late thirties woman who is a hot mess and has done everything wrong in life. And that's who both of these characters are. So the, in the Pisces, she is kind of, she is failing out of her graduate program because she's going to try and she's been in this graduate program for years and years and years. And finally they're like, okay, you have to do your dissertation or go. So she goes to house it for her sister in California, who's very wealthy. And oh, PS, she meets a merman on the beach. <laughs> And that's it. And love ensues. Um, She also has a brand new one out called Milk Fed, which I have not yet read, but also looks equally fabulous. And then I just want to mention my third one is Alif Shafak, and she has a new one out as well. I am a massive fangirl of Alif Shafak. She is a Turkish writer. 
She's of Turkish descent. I started reading her with the Flea Palace when I was in Turkey and the um, Architect's Apprentice. But then when I came to America, um, I think she was at, uh, I don't know, she was somewhere, she was in a a university in the U.S. teaching. And she's had a lot come out. She's also been a big trigger of the government. The government of Turkey has tried to put her in prison and everything else. Oh, no, really? Yeah. And most of it was for a book called The Bastard of Istanbul, which is a fabulous book. Um, and The Bastard of Istanbul is about the Armenian genocide and the, kind of this mm-hmm. this Turkish woman trying to sort of rectify that hole in her mind. And yeah, it really made the Turkish government mad. But <laughs> she has a book out that was out, uh, in, I think it was 2020, 10 minutes and 48 seconds in this strange world, which is about the death of a prostitute. And it starts when they find her in the dumpster and she keeps going back and reliving 10 minutes and 48 seconds of her life. And each chapter kind of takes a different 10 minutes and 48 seconds. Oh my God. It's fabulous. It's real. it's heavy, but it's really good. Um, she has a, a book called, uh, black milk, which was like her journey about not being able to nurse her kids and not feeling like she was a real woman. Um, and then the, her newest is called the Island of Missing trees so she's very uh she's very deep she's very poetic in her writing it's really fabulous it's you know it's a little bit dark she tends to be a little darker turkish literature kinds tends to go that way kind of like irish literature but um she's really fabulous and if you if you like turkey and you're interested she writes a lot there's a lot about it there's always something connected somehow there's it's always connected back to turkey um and yeah, it's, she's great. I'll leave Shafak is her name and you can get her in, in, well, I don't think you care. I was going to say you can get her in English or in Turkish. Who cares? Who else is going to read the Turkish version? Okay. <laughs> we might have some Turkish listeners. You never know. Most of it's English now, but yeah, that's, so that's my three girls, Alyssa Nutting and Melissa Broder or Broder, Bruder, however you want to say that. And then Elif Shafak, which is my, she's my girl. So cool. There you go. All right. If you want to read on your own, those are three hot, broads that you need to check out not hot physically i mean they probably i don't know but they're like <laughs> check them out they're good hot riders yes awesome all right so like we mentioned for our next episode we are skipping because we're going to be on spring break y'all <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah woo, woo. It'll, be like, it'll be like the mtv version remember mtv spring break from like the the 90s yeah <laughs> except instead we'll have like milk of magnesia instead of like pouring you know like we're old now. We'll That's have right. wine and we'll have yeah. wine and anger and comfortable shoes. <laughs> I, send, I was on the beach with my kids the other day, and I had to send Heather a message. I'm like, there are two middle aged women sitting on the beach when it's 55 degrees, covered in a blanket, drinking wine in the middle of the afternoon. I'm like, these are our people. I have seen them. That's us. Life goals. They were just having lunch, having a glass of wine, just chilling out, enjoying the beach. I love it. I can't wait. That wraps up this episode of Tulip Mama's podcast. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review and share us. We'll love you forever. I mean, unless it's bad. If the review is bad, then we're not going to love you. But, you know. If you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to the Tulip Mama's podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to know what's happening in our worlds and what we're reading and all of that good stuff, you can follow us on Tulip Mama's podcast on Instagram or on Tulip Mama's on Facebook. And of course, on our website, www.tulipmamas.com. Have a wonderful week. Two weeks. We'll see you soon. Happy spring break.